Tech Matters, the podcast that decodes technology for everyone. Yes, and we're back for another episode. This is Craig and... And this is Greg. How are you today? Yeah, man. I'm really, really good. I had a pretty good week. How was your week? Yeah, no, it's good. Um, just fixing computers, man. Yes, uh, I had a couple of PC jobs, even though I'm meant to be out of that industry myself. Some people can't help but give you a call. But uh, you have a relatively busy week at work. Any, I know you can't go too much into it, but uh, was it anything exciting that was different for you? Um, and you were talking about iPhones earlier. Oh. Do you want to go into that? Yeah. If, if you're in a corporate environment and your iPhones are on one of the versions of iOS that's 13.1 point something update because if there's anything wrong with your email that's not downloading properly that's probably what's causing it okay so there's a problem with the update is there is there some issues that so you've seen? so ever since uh, iOS 13 came out um, they moved from 13 to 13.1 very quickly and then there was about three sub-releases of 13.1 uh, which didn't fix any of the email problems, and now they're on, I think, 13.2.3, and that one seems a lot better. Yes. Uh, should I go a disclosure or a disclaimer that uh, you and I aren't overly fanatical about Apple products? Well, I, I, <laughs> cer- like now. Well, I, I certainly wasn't this week. <laughs> so so let's talk about that a little bit. So you have um, some problems with iPhones that, and iPads and things that people use um, where you operate. But you were talking about that you had someone having some issues down, um, earlier that you were working on uh, around their images and the, the amount of storage space that they'd had on their phone and you found a very simple solution that some people may not be aware of. Do you want to share with me what that is? Yeah, sure. Um, these days Apple would have you go and spend heaps of money on extra iCloud storage because 5 gig doesn't really get you that far when it comes to backing up everything on your devices. But um, good old Google to the rescue. Um, if you're not already using it, take a look at Google Photos because once you install uh, the app for that on your phone, all you need is a Gmail address, which is free to create. And as long as you stay under 16, 16 megapixel images, you get unlimited free storage. Wow. So you can have you can have a million photos in there and it will never ask you to spend any more money. Um, <clears throat> it all syncs automatically um, up to Google services. You can then go to any computer anywhere or any other phone and sign that account in and, and all your photos are there. You, you'll never lose them again. So that's a cloud service? Google Photos? Yeah, absolutely. So what, G, most people, majority of people I see and customers I've dealt with do have Gmail. Um, it is a popular platform for email, free email. So they can go up and they can use that photo app as a means of saving their photos to save space on their devices, yeah? Yeah, and it's not just um, the phones. As well as having an app on a phone, whether it be um, an iPad, yeah. an iPhone, any Android phone, uh, you can also... Um, download a desktop app to any computer and you can sync any of the the folders where you're storing images on your computers and you can use Google services to back all them up as well. Yeah, that um, sounds pretty good. Now, you said 16 megapixels. So, for, again, for the lay people among us who aren't 
or don't have a background in photography, which uh, one of your loves of your life has been photographics and you were the owner of Oz Media Guys for a while, which was a videography and photography company. Just get that in there. <laughs> so, so Yeah, so so a lot of people might look at it and say, you know, if I can't put them in a, a full resolution, is that going to be enough for me? But here's exactly what 16 megapixels gets you. For just to, to give it to you technically, that's 4920 by... 3264 pixels, but in a real sense, if you were to take that image to any shop to get that image printed, at the resolution that gives you a nice clear print, you could get a 16 and a half inch by 11 inch photo printed. Hmm. So, so that's, so, a, that's so, a real world comparison. So yeah. if someone's trying to understand what that 16 megapixel, so it's under 16 megapixel, you're saying unlimited storage, so infinite photos as long as you keep them under that resolution. Now, most, I, I know my mobile phone, I think it's 13 megapixel camera, so if I'm taking a raw image on my mobile, I'm guessing the maximum it's going to give me is is the resolutions that would translate to a 13 megapixel, so I should be able to save those to Google Photos without issue. Oh, absolutely, and even if it, even if it has a an image sensor that takes photos at a high megapixelage, just saying that it'll back them up at 16. Yeah. You can get um, those larger resolutions backed up anyway and they give you 15 gig of free storage with every Google account. But unless you, for whatever reason, need to go back and crop in and zoom in on some of those photos and then literally need to go and have those to reprint, there's not really much much use to save those photos any larger than 16. And in, in all honesty, photos taken with the mobile phone, we're really just talking about happy snaps, um, the camera that you had with you at the moment where you want to capture that memory. And at that image size, you know, they're absolutely fine. Yeah, so when you're talking about the storage, you're really saying this is a cloud solution off the off the, the phone, so that's saving your space or off the device. Um, you can access it from pretty much... Uh, any any device uh, yep. so that that's got its advantages but here's something i want or think people probably should consider and you raised earlier is if you are using google photos understand that a it'll use data whether it be wi-fi or actual data and if you're out and about and you don't have access to data you would temporarily lose access to those photos because it is a cloud service well the process of backing them up doesn't automatically delete them off your phone mm -hmm. you actually Within the app, there's an option in the menu where you can choose to free up space on your device. So it will, com it will compare what it's got backed up online against what's still on your phone and offer to delete the local copies, which is essentially how you free up space. And you are correct that if you don't have a data connection, you can't access those photos. But if you haven't got a data connection, then you're probably not using your phone for, for much else at that particular point in time these days. Um, yeah, so... Uh, interesting, I wasn't overly aware of the, the Google Photos, but uh, one thing that I used in the past, and we'll move this on a little bit into still talking about images, is a lot of people don't know that you can actually search by image on Google, that there's a reverse image search. So when you go to Google Images, you can actually choose an option there that says search by image. So if you have a photo you've not that you want to know where it come from or the source of it or, or look for similar photos, you can actually upload a photo or, or put in a URL of where a photo may be located and you may be able to find more information about that photo and or where it came from. So, 
So do you know the web address to get to that? It's it's actually Google Images, but it's on the on the right hand side of Google Images. It's it actually you click on it, it should show you to search by image. So it's in where you type in the search bar. We might have to put a link to that on, yeah. our, um, on our website under the article title. Yeah. Uh, or, a, or an explanation uh, on just a brief one on where to find it, how to do it. Because what I used it for, and this is the advantage, because there's a lot of hoaxes and, and misinformation that goes around on social media. A, an example of two that I can think of, one is a picture of the Golden State, Golden Gate, sorry, Golden Gate Bridge, uh, and a big massive white whale or something swimming underneath it. And if you actually reverse image search that, you'll see the same photo of the same bridge without the whale underneath it with all the same traffic on the bridge. So the advantage is if you aren't sure that a photo is real, you can actually do a reverse image search. Another one was a black line that was circulating around the internet on Facebook and they were saying it was a rare black line. And if you actually go and search on a reverse image search, you'll see that it's actually a normal line that someone's photoshopped to make look black, but all the rocks and everything, if you put the images over the top of each other, they're exactly the same. They're purely identical. So um, people who get caught thinking something that often things that you know look too real to be true often are, that's the saying. Sure. So with images, if you're in doubt, they can look spectacular, but at the same time, they may well be fake. And if you don't know how to deduce in your mind if you go that looks really cool but is that real google reverse image search is actually a way of identifying whether that may well be real now the other way to do it is there's a website that's called snopes.com and you can go up and you can actually search for the titles or the or the descriptions and see if there's a reference to it being a hoax or half true or or whatever so so that's pretty much a, a neat little feature of Google that a lot of people aren't aware of. I would imagine that um, it would be good for a few other reasons as well. So like um, checking to see who the original owner of an image is, if you're wondering whether the image was copyrighted and whether you could use it. Um, another thing that I've actually heard um, reverse image search used for is if, um, say for example, uh, people were using online dating and someone put a picture up there of themselves, they actually did a, um, you could actually do a reverse image search on that image and find out if that was just a random picture of someone off the internet that they borrowed and, and they were actually basically misrepresenting who mm. they were. That could be on Facebook too because there's a lot of fake accounts on Facebook that people are using other people's images to actually uh, create fake accounts and things like that. So, yeah. so yeah, I could see that as being a, a pretty powerful tool that people may not actually be aware of and and you know if, if you're not sure there are websites that can actually help you determine if something's a scam or not What's all that about? so talking about snopes and everything we will also talk about scams and something that's very prevalent not only in the u.s but in europe and here in australia of phone scams and, and what are called scam calls. And what you often see is these robo calls as well, where sometimes they're, they're not even human voices on the other end of the phone and they're trying to get information and or money out of you. And they're using phone numbers. So I've, I get these almost every day and they're spoof, what we call spoofing. So do you want to talk to what spoofing is and, and also talk around this topic of scam calls? Well, I'll, I'll start with a little admission um on that part purely because of this phenomenon that's really 
ramped up in the last couple of years. Um, when it first got really bad, I actually unplugged my my um, my landline at home, and uh, when I went to the MBN, so I'd probably had it unplugged for about a year, because if I needed to, anyone to contact me, I just gave them my mobile number. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, when I after about a year of it being unplugged, when we went to the MBN, and I got a had an opportunity to put my phone number over to my new VoIP phone number with MBN, um, choose to get a new number, and I hadn't even bothered to give it give it to anyone, and I don't have it connected. Yeah, okay. So I was getting three or four calls a day from, you know, that were were people trying to scam as well as um, recordings of people speaking in Chinese. Oh, yeah. Um, all sorts of stuff, and it was just... So do you know what the translation of that one actually is? I did actually hear that, that they were sending... Uh, messages out to people saying that they need to contact the embassy because there was a problem with their visa. Yeah, so it was stage. in Chinese. So yeah. they're targeting Asians, and it was in Chinese, and they're saying that they may be deported if they don't send, if they don't contact whatever the contact is. The other one that I've had a couple of times over the course of the years has been a problem with my tax return. And I haven't paid taxes, and they've got a warrant out for my arrest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you had that one? Yeah, Seen that, one? that old chestnut. <laughs> yeah, so so interestingly, there's a few out there. The, the most common ones on your landlines, not so much your mobiles, would be your computer saying you've got a problem with your computer. Can you go to it, turn it on, turn it on and, and I need to fix it for you, pretending to be from Microsoft or an antivirus company? And uh, I know my experience, the number of times I've gone out after someone's actually done a gone in for one of those phone call scams, um, and they're devastated. I've seen a lady that who, who where someone had rang them and asked for her husband who is deceased, Oh, and no. yeah, and she hadn't. Uh, she he'd always looked up, always looked after the computers, and he hadn't been alive for about two two and a half years. And this individual rang and asked for him directly, so got his name from somewhere. And she said he'd passed, and then she he proceeded to take control of the computer. She's an elderly lady, and she ended up in an institution because after that experience where she got scammed. Um, she didn't trust anyone and actually went downhill from there. So there's real-life impacts, not just financial, yeah. with these things. I've, I've had customers in tears ringing me because they've lost $5,000, where it's the maximum amount of money that could be drawn out of their account was um, in one particular scam where someone called and said, hi, I'm with Telstra, you've got problems with the internet, I'm here to fix it for you. Sure. Then they proceeded to say, hey we owe you money, I can see you've got money here where we've got to give you money. If you log into your bank account, uh, this is why they've got control of the machine. Sure. I'll make that transfer now, or I'll make the transfer, and then I've asked them to log into their bank to check to see if the, the transfer's gone through. And then, then when they started to get suspicious and got upset and hung up on them, this individual rang back and said, we're taking every cent out of your account, um, and literally hung up and, and took the maximum amount they could withdraw and she was an elderly lady as well 5,000 so I guess the short of it is if you take a scam call there are certain things you can actually do uh, to basically take control of these people now the first thing that you can do is if it's an unsolicited call and someone pretends to be from somewhere and you're suspicious of it you can actually ask more questions of them they if they're saying they're with Telstra or something you can ask do you have a, a a an ID, like a customer service type ID, they'll give you a fake one anyway. But the more questions you ask, 
the more likely they are to actually decide that it's that too, it's too hard. Yeah, yeah. And, and let, um, probably the worst scam I've heard of, and I don't know if you heard of this one. It truly horrified me when I heard about it. That um, a lot of these calls basically prey on people's fears, right? Um, in this particular call, and this is using something we'll get to later on, it has to do with um, hijacking people's phone numbers, mm -hmm. um, and it's called swim swap, SIM swapping, but we'll get into it. But um, what they'd actually done in these few cases is they'd, they'd gotten the phone number of this couple's child's phone, and they'd called them from that number and basically said that they were holding their kid hostage. Mm. and said we need you to stay on the line you have to go here withdraw so much money and leave it here for us and then mm. because they're staying on the line worried about their kid and the call came from their number yeah it wasn't until after the deal was said and done that they you know they basically you know raced home and found their kid was basically sitting at home completely unaware and mm. nothing was wrong so so that reference there to changing the number is actually a reference that's used quite a bit in the scams is it's called spoofing so spoofing is where that via software they can actually send a signal to the phone to show whatever phone number they want yeah. so the truth is is you often see a number and a lot of people look at the prefix and go oh that's an 01 sorry an 03 number or an 07 number so it's brisbane or 08 it must be this or that and they look at the number and think it's local but they're sitting in an overseas call center somewhere and just via software it's pushed that number to the phone okay in interestingly in the u.s the telephone companies the telcos over there are actually countering that ability of those organizations and now they're they're injecting instead of it saying who the call call is from like unknown caller it injects and it says um scam alert so it actually then they're detecting that there's spoofing going on yeah so so i'm not sure whether we've caught up here in australia with telstra i'm not aware of whether or, or the carriers but i guess if we haven't then that's something that we'll see down the track well there are there are actually apps you can get for phones now which do um detect um, possible scam phones mm -hmm. um, they actually work by doing a bit of crowdsourcing so um, a number of people with the app installed basically contribute to a database yeah. of phone numbers and uh, if if a number pops up that someone else has reported then it basically gives you a little pre-warning to say you know um, possible suspect number it'll do yeah. it anyway with numbers that aren't in your address book and aren't recognised. but it, it might say unknown caller. I know on my carrier it says unknown call or caller. Yeah, sure. But in the US they're actually saying that it, it is a number identified as potential scam, So which helps because then you can discern. Because I think they're, they're, they're saying on average people are getting 1.3 phone calls per day from scams. So that means everyone's pretty much getting one at the moment. That yeah, one of the calls yeah, you're going to take everyone's is going to be absolutely smashed with it. I'm, I'm getting, the, there's some concerns we're talking about calls here, but also I'm getting SMS messages as well with links on them. So that's a, that's a concern as well. You ever want a gift card to, to buy groceries? Yeah. yeah. Or, or, well, normally it's $500,000 in Nigeria or somewhere like that. You know, in the lottery that I didn't even know I'd entered. So um, I, I generally haven't seen any Nigerian scams personally myself, but um, a really common one is, um, and it's just targeting, targeting, you know, people who, who may be not that well off. And it's just basically simple things like, like money off um, their grocery shopping or stuff like that and mm. click this link to redeem this. And, and, they're, and they're reasonable 
they're reasonable scams that people might think, oh, you know, I could see that being a real thing. So they think, what's the harm? I'll just click on it. Yeah, and and some people, are, the way a lot of these things, these scams are geared is there's a degree, particularly the SMS ones, there is curiosity around it. They leave a question mark that makes you want to click on something and you don't know whether that can compromise your phone or take you to a website if it's an email or whatever. So you've got to be cautious. If You've got to err on the side of caution, especially if it's not from someone that you actually know. Now, if you're actually wanting to know what scams are out there in Australia that are prevalent at the time, uh, you can actually visit the ACCC, uh, their website. That's the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission here in Australia have a website called scamwatch.gov.au and you can actually go up and read through all the different types of scams and, and sort of, uh, you know, educate yourself on what might be out there to avoid being caught by them. Sure, and and sometimes it's also as simple as just if you've got some some text that's come through on a message or an email or something like that, just type in, um, just copy and paste that message Indeed. and type scam. And quite often you'll find, you know, multiple websites where they're cataloging these scams because quite often when you're receiving it, it's not the first time it's been around. They could have been been sort of repeating for years and years and every once in a while, you know, it might just be the first time you've seen it, but it could be quite an old one. Hey, were you all excited about um, it being Black Friday the other day? Yes, and uh, Cyber Monday coming up. Yeah, do you, are you buying anything? Uh, actually, I am, but only my own stuff. You know what I'm like. Well, that's fine. So, <laughs> so my own stuff is on sale, and I actually have to buy it to save on postage. Oh, you're talking about <laughs> stuff in your in your store, like some of the the clothing, clothing got branded stuff. stuff. Branded, yeah. Okay, so you feel pretty comfortable about buying stuff online. I do, um, and understanding the security behind it, and and because I use PayPal, which I do trust. Okay, do you get um? Have you had lots of questions from customers in the past about whether it's safe to do, or are you finding that that especially maybe with um, elderly customers, they're not comfortable with sort of doing that? I, th- I think elderly customers aren't, but the average customer is okay with it. But I've had to explain people do have an issue around security and the security of their browsers, and what I do is I demonstrate in their browser window in their address bar, the lock to show that there's an encryption and explain what that means. So anything where there's likely to be a transaction occurring, uh, where there's money involved, then I I explain first thing to do is look for that that lock. I mean, I suppose it's not just that, it's also paying attention to whether the the site that you're buying from is is reputable, whether, whether it it's the, the proper site for a company mm, mm. or whether it's a, a fake site set up just to collect um, credit card info. So interestingly you say that because with my site, I've got a couple of sites where I don't do a lot of trade on them. There's not many reviews on products. So what happens is there is a, you've got to have a good degree of trust around who you're dealing with on the internet. And if you've never deal, dealt with a website before, it wouldn't be surprising that you'd, again, and I'd encourage people to err on the side of caution when it comes to transacting online, especially if you don't know the website that you're actually dealing with. Well, I'll tell you what, I actually like the idea of buying online because I happen to be in the city, that's in, in Brisbane, uh, last Friday evening. So it's a couple of days ago now. And there were so many people. Mm. <laughs> it was nuts. And um, and I think that, like, I, I walked into JB Hi-Fi here and um, 
you literally could not even get a decent swing up with a cat in there. Like mm. there was just if if you were if you were a little bit claustrophobic and you didn't like um, getting um, up and close with your um, with your neighbouring human, you would have just noped the hell out of there, man. It was just crazy. I don't think the salespeople knew who was coming or going. Mm. Um, and were, were they legitimate sales? Could you see legitimate price savings on anything? Like in in, in your wanderings, obviously you weren't oh, yeah. shopping, Look, but. Um, there's a, I think if you're if you're a fan of Google products, um, a lot of the Google Home stuff um, was on sale. Like uh, the little Google Home hubs, they're a, li- a little a smart speaker that you can talk to that have the display on them. They were normally, I think they're over two hundred dollars. They were selling one for a hundred and sixty nine dollars plus one free. Okay. So if you had had a mate who who wanted to to let Google into their home and listen to all their conversations, mm. then, uh, yeah, you could do that for half price. <laughs> Let's not get people too paranoid, yeah. but I think in another podcast we might address these home devices and that issue of whether they're listening. Well, I, it's it's one of those things, and I think that it obviously doesn't cost them as much money to make these things, and, and, uh, and it's really kind of worth their while to get these devices into people's homes and using their services because... Mm. because so, getting them on on those devices and and getting people used to them is sort of it's worth them either taking a hit or selling them at cost so what what's the history of black friday anyway we we haven't really celebrated it's not a celebration per se it's a sale we haven't sort of delved into the sale side of black friday and where it's all come from it is it started in the u.s and cyber mondays is the like so black friday is the day after thanksgiving normally in the u.s we don't have thanksgiving here in australia i think you you kind of hit the nail on the head it's nothing there's nothing sort of um remarkable about it other than over in america it was an opportunity for for companies to actually target more people who are going to be out and about shopping because they've got a couple of holidays so strung together and um uh, i think the earliest evidence of it being called that was back in the early 60s where I think it was in Philadelphia where the media or the police were referring to it as Black Friday because with all the people out and about shopping, it was causing lots of disruption to to uh, traffic, um, lots of pedestrian and vehicular traffic on the roads and, and lots of people just basically going nuts in shops and creating yeah. chaos for the, for the cops. Sounds like our Boxing Day sales. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so, so that, that gives you a concept of the Black Friday sales. So a lot of those are retail-based, but following that, the Monday which follows that, the uh, internet, a lot of the internet companies came up with Cyber Monday, which is actually more of more of the same. I guess it's sales. You can still find sales. It's across four days these days. But oh. the Cyber Monday came as a counter to the retail version, which is where you go up online and there's a lot of discounts to be had, software discounts. Yeah, look, I, haven't got like a, I haven't got a problem with that. I think jumping online, like, after walking through those shops, I'd be more than happy to just jump online and do my purchases. Yeah. And I know a few people who did that, so they weren't tussling with people in the stores and worrying about actually finding stock on the shelves. And I think the other thing with the Black Friday concept is the US tend to see this is the start of their their sales period leading up to Christmas where people are buying presents and things like that. So like you say, they have a holiday over there around this time so that allowed people to go out and, and do shopping in there and a lot of people doing their christmas shopping so it's almost like a pre-christmas sale sale 
Well, I, th- I think probably with the, the prevalence of companies selling a lot more online now and mm. advertising and setting up online stores, that's probably where we've seen it, it creep into our culture over the last few years. Um, like even local shops had banners up, you know, whether it be a local chemist or shoe stores or bag stores, all, all of every single one of them had a sign up saying, you know, Black Friday sales. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that um, half the people walk into those stores don't know what the hell Black Friday is other than mm. the fact that, that every store in the, sh- the shopping centre or in the, the strip mall were basically advertising that it was a sale and just trying to draw people in. So this this last time last year, you know, I dabbled in the drop shipping. Okay. So I was already up as a online store, yeah. And all the suppliers of the products that were supplying the fulfillment centres that were supplying actually had massive discounts. So the discounts are real um, because I know what the cost prices were. So so not only are the retailers selling their products at a lower price the buy price is actually a lot lower just for those that are interested to know whether the discounts are real. So if you're in that industry where you're selling online, the cost price drops, which allows the sales uh, also to drop to the end user. I agree with you, first of all, that that um that there are some really good discounts to be had. And I'm kind of glad we don't see um, a lot of the, the things that were happening in in America probably sort of eight to ten years ago where where there were some stores who who were actually in an effort to try and you know bring more people to the store were advertising that they were going to sell maybe a couple of flat screen TVs for for 20 or 30 bucks and um, it was basically creating a stampede um, at the front of the store where people were basically you know chafing at the bit to sort mm. of to run through the store to be the one who, who basically got this this bargain. And back in, um, I think it was 2011, someone actually um, died. Someone yeah. got trampled in a store. I've, I've heard of that happening at Boxingdale Sales here years ago. People were getting injured. So, again, argument for Cyber Monday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. I'm going to be doing all mine online. Yeah, I've already started Christmas shopping. You started Christmas shopping? Uh, yeah, I actually... Um, I got in before before Black Friday. I actually went with the um, 11.11 sales. It's okay. A, it's a Chinese. I have seen that. Yeah, I have yeah, seen those. Yeah, that, that they're, they're a, heavily discounted too. Yeah, that's, so, the, that's the Chinese version yeah, exactly. of Black Friday. And I figured if I was getting all of all of my stuff dropped from, shipped from China, I had to allow for a little bit more postage time. So, yes. So some of that's arrived already. Um, some, oh, I will, while we're talking about that, because I was in that drop shipping space, Interestingly, looking at the products that I was carrying, and there are some on Amazon and Amazon Prime of the same products, people do think that they're getting bargains on Amazon, but the fact is is some of those products, even one I carry on my store now, I know there's only one other seller on Amazon who actually uh, sells it for $222 and I'm at 99 and I know what the buy price is. And, I, and I'm still making a profit, but the point I guess I'll make on that is that there's um, that yeah those eleven eleven sales the you know going direct to China and purchasing something you may get something from China if you're prepared to wait a little bit longer because um, that's the advantage of Amazon is a it's trusted we talked about that before do you trust the site that you're on the advantage of a lot of the products that you buy direct from China are actually on Amazon yeah. and have come from China but people trust them because the items already there in the fulfillment centres yeah well I mean. It's interesting because you can trust Amazon, but these days um, 
social trust is a big thing. So mm. um, seeing people talk about products on Facebook or even uh, YouTube is a big thing. So one of the, the ways that I, I tend to vet products that I find that are, are quite cheap as to wondering whether it's any good is I'll actually look at uh, you know whatever the model description and, and the thing is and I'll actually do a YouTube search for it. And then quite often now you find lots of people actually doing product reviews of all of these cheap gadgets or yep. things that are coming out of China and, and and you can get some well some honest opinions from real people and, and find out what these things are like before you actually just sort of jump in and throw your, your money at something which may not work at all. Well, confession is I actually have a fair number of the products that I've sold. Yeah. Because I want to test them before I sell them and A, make sure they arrive and B, know that what I'm selling the end user is actually value for money. If it's not, it's not going to be sold. Well, I guess it's not such a big stretch of the imagination these days, right? Because most of the stuff that you buy in stores here is coming out of China anyway. You're That's just, correct. You're just really cutting, you know, cutting in and further up, further up the, the um, supply chain, aren't you? And may I say rebranded. I've seen the same speakers that we'd purchase here in Big W or Kmart with their generic brand in their generic box yeah. for sale on the sites for my suppliers at you know, again, cheaper rates, um, but they're the same brand, same product, but just rebranded. How long are you finding with some of those products that you have to wait for them to be delivered? Actually, fourteen to twenty days on average. Yeah, okay. Fourteen to twenty days. So, look, I've I've experienced. I've got stuff that my we'll talk about apparel. So let's forget the the physical products from China. Yeah. But let's, for example, legitimate company in the US that I use to produce my shirts takes anywhere from eight to fifteen days. That's coming from the US. Yeah. Uh, and and from China, it's about fourteen to twenty on average to the destination country. If if it gets caught by customs, yeah, that's where the real killer is. So when there's a delay, often with a lot of the with the drop shipping type stuff, you get a tracking number which you then provide to the end customer. They can track the shipping, and and I can also see as a seller when it arrives. So, so I had, I've had people try and scam me where they said it hasn't arrived and I've provided all the information where they've tried to claim a refund and I can prove it's been signed for. Okay. So, so and, and, but that on average, it's 14 to 20 days from China to here in Australia or the US from China. They're the only two markets I sell to. And, they, and pretty much that time period is normally, it's very rare that it's outside that time period. Yeah, I, I've probably found roughly the same. I mean, it... it for me, depending on the time of the year, it kind of averages between 14 to 21 days. Sometimes it's a little bit longer. Sometimes around Chinese New Year, everything sort of shuts down and it takes a little bit longer. But, but this time of the year, it's not too bad. So as long as you, you plan ahead and, and um, you know, order what you're after, you can actually save quite a bit of money and get some cool stuff. Tech fail of the week. So here's one to follow up for uh, the fail of the week. Last week we had the old Tesla truck. Yeah. <laughs> so did you hear about Thanksgiving and the Instagram feed and stories going down as well as parts of Facebook and also WhatsApp? Oh, really? On Thanksgiving, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I didn't know about that. I must have been busy having a life. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, well, from a social media whore to a non-social media whore. Yeah. So, look, the the interesting thing is I was on Twitter at the time, <laughs> so I was safe. 
<laughs> That's lucky. That is so lucky, as if I didn't have enough social media Ima- to worry about. But... Imagine if you didn't have an outlet. So here's the thing is, I actually didn't know that it had gone down except the Twitter feed literally lit up with comments about Instagram and, and uh, Facebook being down. No mention of WhatsApp at the time, but... Uh, it was funny, it was mixed reactions from people commenting. Uh, there were some saying, great, enjoy the time with your family. And they thought that Instagram was actually doing it as a nice gesture to, yeah. for people to spend time with their family. That's how, that's how people were oh, spinning it. Yeah, sell it as a feature, right? Exactly. And then and then on the flip side, there was those that were, the sky was falling. So And, and not only to the degree that the sky was falling, uh, there were people actually pushing another app, which I've never heard of, but I went and had a look online, that's um, called Dayflash. So they're saying, oh, what are you using Instagram for? Use Dayflash. Oh, really? So yes. use it as a marketing opportunity? <laughs> well, I think I think they were just using it. They were photographers. But interestingly, I went up online to have a look at what Dayflash looked at. I didn't install the app. But it looks on the screen exactly like Instagram. I couldn't discern the difference. <laughs> it was so funny to look at. Mind you, if they actually got what they were looking for and had all the users flocked over and overloaded the servers, they'd probably crash as well. That's it. So, interestingly, we don't know what the cause was. I hadn't sort of, or I hadn't seen anything to suggest what the cause of that crash may have been. I know that in March of last year, sorry, March of this year, uh, I was severely affected and <laughs> <laughs> when Facebook went down. But it was actually the servers. Um, one of the things that people don't know is that only a handful of companies actually own the servers that house the internet. Yeah, if you're ever wondering where Amazon makes all its money from, that's it right there. It's not from selling you um, bulk washing detergent, it's from the server infrastructure that they actually sell to other companies to run their services on. Mm, Because that that, that was one of their smartest moves. I don't know what the... Do you have a, a, a stat there for what their market share of the cloud... We call it cloud services these days, anything that's sort of up on the internet. So we're talking... When, when a, a main server goes down, so say Amazon's uh, servers go down or Microsoft's, which is Azure, um, and then you've got Google's servers, when these, these companies that house the core of the internet doesn't just affect Facebook, Instagram, things like that, if it's the server end, it can actually impact people who are using services that host their websites, um, and it can also affect services that are provided by media companies, um, I think I have a feeling I can't remember one of the streaming services, um, major streaming service went down around the time Facebook did in March. But interestingly, um, you got up the stats. So you can't see the stat, Mark. Uh, you keep talking. I'll look for it. <laughs> you look for it. All right. So, yeah, I'm trying to fill space, mate. But, uh, yeah, so pretty much the servers go down. It affects other services as well. But this one, I think, must have been more internal, maybe a problem with something within the software itself, uh, software end. Well, interestingly, so here's a stat for you. As of 2017, which is obviously a few years ago, it says that they owned about 34% of the world server infrastructure. Mm. I mean, it's a lot of people don't really think about how, how they get the stuff they're looking at on the internet. Um, take, for example, um, imagine if YouTube was sitting on your computer and you had a billion people connecting to your computer every day to try and watch a video. I mean, that's that's what we're really talking about. The amount of computer hardware and, and the the network connectivity that goes to, to being able to supply the videos that people watch on YouTube without the videos freezing up and mm. buffering is just 
it's it's huge. Yeah, so I mean that'd be like you know having your house and people wanting to come and visit, and you can only fit so many people in your house, and the more you fit in, you're going to be busting at the seams, and people aren't going to get on. So you you asked, was it a denial of service? a dedicated denial of service attack or DDoS is what the do the you, hackers like to refer to it. Do, 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 do you want to do you want to clarify do you want to speak to what that actually is a, a DDoS attack? It's just basically um so one of the things that that um a lot of programs or viruses that can infect your computers will do is they'll they'll actually use people's infected computers to remotely um, all try to to log in and refresh on a website at the same time. So if it's just one person sitting there um, trying to go to a site and refresh it, um, it's not such a big problem. The server can handle that. But if all of a sudden you get a million people trying to open your web page at once and, um, and all trying to continuously page refresh, that's when the server just decides to quit. And, mm. and essentially it means that anyone else who's trying to connect to it legitimately um, can't get through because the server's getting so many requests that it just can't send the data out to anyone. Yeah, so an example of one that may have affected a lot of Australians would be the ABS one at the last census where they tried to do it online <laughs> and a state body was accused of actually attempting a DDoS attack or, or you know, that they were, that's, that was what the was surmised. But uh, interestingly, the ABS said, no, we weren't affected by it. We, we shut down our servers. So so is that no different, even though they've shut down the service to stop the DDoS attack, is is that no less impactful as allowing it to occur? And isn't that, that isn't the result the same? I smell a cover up. <laughs> you reckon? So yeah, we won't touch too much on that. But that's an example of if someone may have been affected when you tried to log in to that particular site um, all at once, uh, then you know, like at the ABS, it could have been an infrastructure issue or it could have been a DDoS, and they, they, they're saying it was, but uh, that's that's a couple of years ago as well, but it might give people some idea of what, what we're referring to there. Well, let's get back to the real question. The real question is, is, isn't it a good thing? Like, you know, if you lose social media for an hour or two, you know, what's the, you know, is it going to impact your life? Are you going to to not be able to go on. I mean, you know, like like you said, some people said it's a good thing. Spend time with your family. You mm. know, people just spend are people spending too much time glued to their screens. Said know? a guy on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> said a guy on Twitter. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yes. you know, so, I mean, com- companies don't like it because they know that people are out there looking at their social media feeds and they're sitting out there, um, you know, advertising their sales mm. or or doing all those things and it's and it's disruptive to that right well it's an advertising platform like like social media is two things people think it's free but it's actually no it's replaced newspapers in the way we we sell sell advertising like i advertise on social medias uh i promote myself on social media so as an impact from a from a point of view of you know an enterprise or business that going down for two hours when you're paying for advertising or you're trying to have market reach and particularly, for example, the day before Black Friday sales. Yeah, sure. You could have been spending and investing heavily in your social media marketing and it could have been affected by the feeds or stories going down. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, I guess it's like um, 
paying for advertising in prime time and the TV network mm. goes down. Right? Absolutely, it'd, be, it'd have the same impact to business. So, so, but as for use, users and u- users, I agree with you, it's no different to having a power outage and saying to your kids, okay, great, go out and kick a ball yeah. at midnight. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's let's uh, light a few candles and play Monopoly. That's it, exactly. So yeah, there was a lot of people actually saying they. I found it intriguing that they did think it was actually uh, purposefully done <laughs> by Twitter, uh, but not by Twitter. Sorry, by Instagram to actually go to shut down the service for a couple of hours so people would send, spend time together, not realising that only the US uh, actually celebrate Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, it's a little bit early for a Christmas miracle, isn't it? So that's our second episode in the can, mate. So if people need to find us, Greg, where can they visit us? You've just been working on our new website on your web uh, server. So if you're looking for our web presence, you can find our website by going to techmatterspodcast.com. Uh, we've also got a Instagram page. So if you search for Tech Matters Podcast on Instagram, you should be able to find us. And if they want to connect with us, they can actually go on to the Instagram and send us a message. Is probably the easiest way to do that. Absolutely. Or you can uh, email us at techmatterspodcast at gmail.com or fill in the contact form on our website. And if you're listening to us, we're not sure what platform you'll be listening on, but we are across a number of platforms and adding more uh, every other day. So we're on Anchor, Spotify, we're Breaker, Google Podcasts, Rocket Casts, and Radio Public. Okay. So it's been a great time chatting with you, and we'll see you all next week. Catch you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tech Matters, the podcast that decodes technology for everyone. Siri, where can I get a cheap iPhone for Christmas?